0: I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leading Out of the Woods, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other
1: interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Dr. Mark Wilson, a former teacher, coach, principal, a previous Georgia State Principal of the Year and NASSP National Principal of the Year. His latest book is What They Didn't Teach in Fancy Leadership School, A Guide for Successful School Leadership. Oh, what a powerful book. So much practical information. You're going to love this talk. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And, oh, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, StephenMiletto.com, slash reviews, and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? What do you think? Could you say a few nice words and uh, maybe five stars? Hmm? That'd be so cool. Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show.
0: It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. that here's another show with Dr. Steve Millett, Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah dot
1: mark wilson was a teacher and a coach and a principal since 2012 he's been teaching and coaching principals and assistant principals and aspiring leaders as well dr wilson has been teaching leadership through classes through coaching and through consulting he's worked with leaders throughout the u.s and leads multiple innovative leadership efforts throughout georgia Mark has collaborated with departments of education, RESAs, school systems, national associations, and thought leaders across the country. Before his current work supporting and developing leaders, Mark was the principal of Morgan County High School in Madison, Georgia, where, because of the great work of his teachers, students, and parents, he was named the National Principal of the Year by the NASSP, National Association of Secondary School Principals. Today, we are focused on his latest book, What They Didn't Teach in Fancy Leadership School. A guide for successful school leadership. Mark, welcome back, and thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone.
0: Hello, and Steve. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, good to spend time with you on your internationally famous podcast. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining me, and it's been a while. This is cool. We got a book out there, and uh, we got uh, lots of stuff happening here. So I can't I can't wait to get into this. I mean, your latest book is called "What They Didn't Teach in Fancy Leadership School: A Guide for Successful School Leadership." Nice title. Why'd you write this book? Um, so, Steve,
0: I, I've, I've been able to do something that a lot of people, I wish that they had the opportunity to do, but um, I've learned about school leadership from thousands of school leaders in action. Um, I was a school leader. I was assistant principal like you, teacher, assistant principal, and a principal. And uh, reflecting on that, I had a small number of people that I was able to uh, draw from. The people that I had been leaders of the schools where I'd gone, the uh, where I had taught, and as an assistant principal, the principals and superintendents. But um, starting in 2012, I've I've had over 7,500 coaching sessions, and so it's a unique thing that has given me. Uh, an inside behind the curtain scene of what it's really like being a school leader um, for principals and assistant principals. And so it would be, it, it, it would be wrong to just gather all that and not share it broadly. I share it particularly specifically with the people that I work with. I'll learn from this principal in one place and share what I learned with the principal and another, this book is really Steve. It's all the things that I've been working on for, um, for the whole time. And in one place, but really based on 7,500 and counting coaching sessions of uh, being able to see what the real, real is what, what gets people, um, what makes it work and, and what, and surprise them and keep them from being successful.
1: Love it. That's, it's awesome. And I can, and I can only imagine all the different uh, experiences you've had as you're, you're helping people get through things and um, you know, have been in the position. It's a, it's a trip unless you've done it, you don't know. And, and sometimes just needing that, that uh, um, those, you know, thoughtful words or the, the person who's sitting there asking the questions, trying to get you to um, see that you got the answers. I mean, you're just, I can only imagine all this stuff you'd learned from that. so so your book is divided into nine parts. so I'm going to read those nine parts it's Kickoff, in your head, reaching out, coaching, check yourself, climate, leading, collaboration and mechanics. The sections are packed full of practical information. I, I thought we would uh, choose a, 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 a just single something out and let's start with be yourself. Why'd you start here?
0: So I do lots of training as you said I've had. Hundreds and hundreds of cohorts I've taught. I don't know how many thousands of classes, and we're always try to begin with school leaders. and And I would suggest that, regardless of the profession, leadership begins with you, and it begins with you having an understanding of why you do what you do. I, um, I always begin people with a, uh, an activity called uh, life maps where you are partnered with another uh, colleague in the class and you draw each other's life map, which brings into the uh, focus that you, you make decisions based on the experiences that you've had, the exposures, the environment, and then your values. And I try to get people to examine those to begin with so that they can have a deeper understanding of themselves and where they're coming from and um, not uh, to to judge that there's a right way or a right set of experiences. But just to understand that the unique path that led you to the red hot moment that you're leading a group of people, the the steps on that path gave you the perspective that you have that's going to come through Um, and understanding that and acknowledging that is critical because um, often people in leadership, um, they begin to try to, to figure out what to do and who to be. And if, if you try to be someone other than yourself, then it's, it's hard. And, um, often that that's one of the first questions a new leader is going to think about is how do I interact with others? And a big part of what I've seen successful, be successful is um, having clarity about who you are. And then, and then being yourself inside of that. Um, If you try to be like the last person, it's probably not going to fit. But you also have to, acknowledge who the others are who your faculty is and what they think um because the really good leaders they don't just stop at learning the life maps of, them, of themselves they begin to learn how all the other people around them tick
1: very cool very cool I, you know this your book has all kinds of i awesome ideas and thoughts and and, and you're you're getting into things that you can tell this this is definitely coming from coaching and working with people because, you know, it's, it's the real stuff that, you know, as a principal you think about and uh, you have to deal with and so forth that, uh, you know, I can't leave part one without asking you about building a team. I mean, what do you mean? And what's so important about this so much so that you included it in the first part.
0: So, and you know this Steve from, um, because you have been an excellent principal an excellent leader, um, it does begin with you and leadership matters. You and I both believe that. and we have invested a lot of our lives into the notion that leadership matters. So we try to help leaders grow, right? And um, but one of the things that that you've got to go to next in that whole um, development of success is developing the team. And there are a lot of smart people who don't know how to develop team they don't know how to develop bring people together and um this isn't a race to see who's the smartest or the tallest or the most clever this is really the measure of your success as a school leader in my opinion is how well can you help others be successful and um and how can you help them um, connect with each other to be um to be stronger than they are individually. And which is what team is about. And a lot of schools that I'll visit, I'll bring them together and we'll, we'll, we'll be working on team and vision and almost everyone, Steve, they they say, well, you know, we're like a family here. And I push back on them with that and say, Tell me what families look like because I don't know. You might be different, Steve, but I know you're not. But um but like families are complicated and yes. messy and uh team is is so much of what I, I would suggest that we would aspire to be when we bring people together to, to to administer a school and 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 to have learning for kids is that team is Team is, is that strength that um, of purpose, and it it really is powerful.
1: Well, you got that right. That is, uh, there's there's so much there that, uh, you know, it, and it, if nothing else, this, the support that it can bring to you as you have, um, uh, you know, members who are on board with a vision, and uh, something we'll come to in just a minute, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, it's, it's so important, and I and I just love the fact that you included this so so early in the book because uh, get right to it. You, you know, one of the things that you can't do this job if you're lacking in this. I mean, I guess you could, but uh, it's going to show rather quickly. Is uh, confidence plays a huge role in in that of the new principle. Um, this is talked about in part two, titled "In Your Head." Can you go in there and just share a little bit about? what you're talking about when you get into Sure. And if you don't
0: mind, I'll, I'll, I'll say the thing about part two in the chapters is, um, so this book was written about school leadership and it was written for school leaders. So there are short chapters and somebody could just pick this up and open it up and read wherever they, they turn. It's not, um, a John Grisham where you got to make sure you connect page one with 193. It's, um, and it's in short bites because I know the people I know the people that I was writing this for. And I, I will be very delighted if they have time to read three, five pages. Um, but it is divided, as you said, Steve, into these different parts and, um, so much of, of your work, uh, it does rely on, on what you allow your thoughts to be. And, um, somebody asked me years ago, back when you and I were doing our principal thing at different places, Steve, somebody said, what do you really want for the kids that leave your high school other than a diploma? In addition to a diploma, what do you want? And my one word was confidence. Um, because if you're confident, your ability to handle unpredictable, unscripted, real-world situations is increased. And one of the things that one of the reasons why I wrote this book and one of the reasons that I do what I do is we are getting more and more people into leadership that maybe have not had that experience in their life map that has led them to confidence because I mean, you you get confidence through experience and the fun part of that is most of it's bad (laughs) experience. It's, Um, it's it's the fail failure it's that that wins the day it's um it you know i write in this book about the cleaning substance formula 409 it's called that because they didn't figure out the right formula with formula one or formula 113 or um that they continued to uh to get what they were after until they got it and it took 409 times. And I think about like a kid in elementary school, Steve, um, that's struggling with math. Like that might even be called formula 1,233 because – I think of wonderful teachers that I know and and have watched, and and you've seen them too. They're the ones that have that that foresight and vision and confidence that, with enough time, I can help the student get to there. Well, it's the same way with leaders. Is if you've had enough experience and and enough things that you you've been involved with, coming into being a principal or being an assistant principal. Then you're able to to operate out of confidence rather than fear. That whole thing, the, the opposite of confidence, the fear, it makes people make bad decisions. Um, if you're afraid you're going to lose your job, you may not do the innovative things that you need to do. That was not you were you were me. We were we. Were, I don't know if it was confidence or, or what we had (laughs) back then, but I think about the things you did and the things I did as principals. And that's what, you know, I hope your listeners know. I mean, you were the, the Georgia um, principal of the year, the year following me and you were the um, well, two years following me. And then you were um, the finalist for national principal of the year. And, and I've said before on your show, like the stuff that you did was more amazing than than any of the rest of us. And but to say that um, you had confidence that you could do something, and in the absence of that, it wouldn't have worked. And I think about everybody who has been deemed successful um, by outside agencies. Um, all of us we had that same thing. We had that, um, that edge was confidence. And that's one of the things that I hope that we can get our assistant principals and principals and aspiring leaders to think about is um, work to believe in yourself and bet in yourself. And things don't always go the way you want them to go, but it shouldn't, Change the way that you approach your life and your job in your head. So that's that's why that topic's so important. And and um, and there is a there is a very um, noticeable difference between people who are operating with confidence and people who are um, just fraught with insecurity. And everybody who walks in the building every day, whether it's a teacher, if a teacher is full of insecurity and she's thinking. I don't know if I can face these kids today that will come out of her in leading the class. If a student is like, I don't like school cause I'm always wrong. That has a difference. I I think if we had bubble vision and could see what people were thinking, the, which would be a terrible superpower by the it, way, yes, but, it um, would be. but if you, but if you were able to see that there's such a difference between people who walk in our building and they are fighting their insecurities versus people who walk in with confidence. And that's why I think it's so important at school. Let's build a place that we grow confidence. And you know how to do that. You have to have a place that's a laboratory and not a museum. You have to have a place where failure is, um, is not just acknowledged or accepted that it's heralded and appreciated because that's how you get confidence is you learn how to not do it first.
1: Love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. They, uh, you know, you're too kind with your, your words too. And just a note, uh, it, it, you're so right. Cause there's, you know, a lot of situations, um, one of the things that I've noticed in recent years is that, uh, and I mean, this not in age. I mean, this inexperience, the idea that, uh, more and more pe- people are taking the principal role who are, um, young, they're and and like that's what I mean by not in age but in experience. They're they're missing some of those those key moments that because you can't you know just, just we know I mean you you keep, there, I, I think we've probably joked about this a number of times, which is oh I don't remember that class um, you know because there's so many things that happen. There's you're not going to have a class for this. You're not going to class for that. You're you got to you got to figure th- things out on your own, and some of it just like you said, is exactly, you make those mistakes and you go, yeah, note to self, don't do that one again. And, uh, um, but at the same time, what happens is that uh, you've got to have some sort of, you got to have some confidence in your abilities that uh, says, uh, I'm going this way. You know, (laughs) it's, uh, let's, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this this is what we're going to, how I'm going to bring people together, whatever. And you you just kind of, Believe you, know, you, you have to develop that belief in yourself that uh, it's it's all right to have these voices in the background that are saying to you that uh, are you you know are you sure you got this are you sure you got this but you know you got to push those away and you got to say yeah I got this and I think it's cool it's 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 such an important part of what uh, uh, what you do and it's uh, good stuff I'm glad you included it I you know in part four you talk about coaching specifically you have a segment that focuses on talent development. Let's dive into this because this is something I've seen you do a lot is uh, you know, working on getting the most out of people. Well, so we once had um, a
0: seemingly infinite pool of applicants for teaching jobs, for administrator jobs. I was looking last night, this is being recorded on July the 6th. And I was looking last night, not for the podcast, but just for information. But we have over a thousand um, jobs open in math and special ed and science in the state of Georgia right now. And so I'm thinking on July 6th, like, how are we going to find those people? And um, as we do at each of the systems here and and across the, the nation um, and, and beyond, we're going to need to shift from managerial style into a very, very much a coaching style of, of how we operate schools, because we're going to have more and more people who um, have not only less experience, but less background knowledge in what they're doing. And so I would say that, um, you know, when you and I started, Steve, everybody told us like the key is personnel. If you hire well, everything goes well. And, Um, which wasn't exactly accurate, but was close enough at the time, mainly because there were plenty of people who could walk in the door and they knew what to do and they knew how to do it. Now we are faced with the need to help people know what to do and how to do it with less experience and less back knowledge. And I, I, I just wanted to insist in the book that people begin to, um, you know, how do you figure out how to do these leadership jobs? A lot of it is you, what you see is what, what you have seen is what you you do because that's all you know. And, and I really tried to draw from this opportunity that I've had to see thousands of school leaders to share different ideas about um, you, you, about where we are right now. And that um, the key to being successful as a school leader now is to exponentially, and yes, I said that, um, increase the time that you're spending in classes and with teachers and helping them become better at what they're doing. And simultaneously for the people who supervise principals, assistant principals, I don't think people... Should just assume that everybody knows what to do and how to do it, which is really all school is. I mean, it's simple, it's just not easy. Is school is what we do, how we do it. Um, I think making an assumption that everybody that you hire for an administrative job knows what to do and how to do it is faulty. And if you don't have both a program to prepare people before they get into those jobs and to support them while they're in there. I think you're taking your chances on how successful it is.
1: Oh, so much. So, you know, um, a bunch of years ago, Jim Collins wrote a book, um, Good to Great, where he, he made something become part of our vocabulary, which had to do with um, getting people in the right seats on the bus. And, you know, it's funny because even with the skills that people do have and they bring to the table, there's always things that they may not have the skills that or not feel the confidence in and stuff like this. And, you know, it's just the, ability to, um, take time to work with people on, uh, you know, things that they want to work on and grow in and, and become better. I it just, it just, it's going to pay off 3000 fold. You know, it's like, uh, um, and it's, it's such an important part of that. But it's not only that, it's our own growth. You know, The paying attention to, you know, having those coaching moments with people that can help us as, as the person sitting in, in the chair or whatever trying to figure out how to do things. How, to, how do we do this? Do you have someone who you can talk to that doesn't have a, you know, just it is is not part of the, the game of your system or something like this. And instead of, I guess I shouldn't call it that, but you know, it's, sometimes it feels that way, but it's, you know, the idea that, uh, um, you know, sometimes you need someone to help you work through whatever it is that you're doing. And I think we ignore that about ourselves sometimes cause you're in that role and you get to feeling like uh, it's, Oh, I'm supposed to do this for everybody else. But not about me. What, what do you think about that?
0: You know, it's a great thing you tapped into there, and it, it it makes me think of this that feedback ought to be something that other people come to us and and ask us, how do you do that and how do you how do you do that well? And I would say that our profession suffers with our relationship with feedback because, and it ties really ties back into confidence in in the idea that we have to present ourselves as perfect um, to the community on tests on accountability notions um, in the pursuit of presenting yourself. It's like, I I don't know, um, growing up, We, I I had the benefit of growing up in a blue collar house and my mom didn't do a whole lot of stuff with presentation at dinner, but man, she could cook and it was great. And I really appreciate the fact that she worked on the product more than she worked on the presentation. I find that we're often torn. We're, we're forced to work on a presentation more than we are the product because I tell you what would give us great confidence and what does in the places where it works is when there is a continuity between school board, superintendent and central office and the individual schools where um, they get that right. And the, we're, we're not constantly at the school level, like never make a mistake um, because that keeps us from focusing on what isn't right. Like the best way to um, to find out what you need to do to get better is to have a genuine analysis. And it's if you get just a surface analysis, like I, I don't know how great that is. like. Um, if, if you go to a dentist and they go, well, all your teeth are there, I guess you're okay. Like um, that's different than some, a dentist who looks deeper into it and says, here are five things you ought to do. And this is something we could spend a lot of time talking about, but I think one of the holdups for us towards success in schools is not getting to the core of And and as you said, we the leaders have to not only let that can't be a second thought like you were suggesting it turns out to be. But I think it needs to be something we model that if we're able to be genuine and look, I mean, if you're a principal or an assistant principal, Everybody knows what you're good at and what you're not good at. I mean, they already do. And to front and act like you're good at things that you're not, it, it's it's kind of silly. But we actually put a lot of energy into pretending. And I see that frustrating teachers and leaders that um, – and, and, look, I, I, I don't think that it's a bad idea to put our best foot forward. But we need to spend – We need to spend time developing our, our growth, but we've got to have have to start with an accurate mirror. One that tells us what everything really is.
1: Oh, you got that right. Got that right. Good stuff. I, you know, one of the things that, you know, I got to make sure we talk about before we leave your book is um, you know, the last couple of years have been a trip (laughs) now before COVID ever happened the life of a principal is, is a trip anyway <laughs> and there's so many different things that happen for example like uh you know you if you're at a high school you maybe have uh you got to go to this sport you got to deal with this situation with the bus and uh at some point you've got to go address whatever some other situation that happened and come up with a way of talking with the group of parents that are going to meet with you the next day or the group of teachers or whatever and you have all this stuff and before you know it, it's like 1130 at night and you're sitting in your office <laughs> on the campus at the school <laughs> and the, the night custodian picks his head in and goes, you, you going home tonight? <laughs> you know. uh, can you talk a little bit about life work balance? What do you think about this? You so, have this in your book. You,
0: you know this, that um, I've done a lot on this for a number of years with um, presentations uh, that I've called live well, lead well Because the neuroscience of this is pretty clear that um, your brain isn't built to constantly work. And one of the things that we attract people who care, and that's good, um, but we also need people who are smart about caring. Um, I've often thought when I've been on an airplane and they get to the part of the safety routine and they say – before attempting to help other people um in the unlikely event that there's loss of cabin pressure or mask will come down before you try to help other people put yours on and I always kind of chuckle because I'm like if I'm on a plane full of educators we'll all die because like um because we're <laughs> we're always trying to help other people before we help ourselves and and that notion of of caring is important and I don't want to minimize that it's it's why we keep coming back to work, but we've got to be smart with our, our instrument. Um, if we were professional athletes, our knees and our legs and our bodies would be our instrument. And when you are uh, a singer, your, your voice is your instrument. I, I, our instrument as school leaders is the, it's our brains. and, so much of life work balance isn't merely about satisfaction with life; it's also about maintaining your instrument. And uh, I, through the years, because um, uh, I and mean, I've got a lot of people I partner with on live well, lead well, and we do a lot of different pieces of it to uh, to, to try to help people to focus on what they individually. Uh, might do but um, and, and a lot of times you get to this and it's like everybody knows you ought to do better with it but um, but then it's like ah, but I really can't and um, I, I would say this that why do we do that why do we punish ourselves and work incessantly and it's because it's the archetype that's been set like you were you were telling that about, you know, being asleep in the night custodian coming. Like when you and I were coming up, like that's what we were. That's the model that we were shown. Um, a new day is I, I, I for some time have, have have suggested let's change the archetype to something more reasonable. Um, I do think you're going to have to work more if you're an administrator. It's bread in the bone and it's just there. However, I think it can be a more more reasonable life, um, but I think I think the archetype will necess- will will change by necessity because millennials and Gen Zs may be smarter than Gen Xs and baby boomers because they're like you know there are other parts of my life that bring value and bring meaning and purpose not only my job and. You know, you and I—I I mean, we were both born in the same year. And um, by the way, you got something big coming in a few weeks. There, thanks, um, one, thanks. Of those, one of those zero birthdays. <laughs> thanks, but, um, for the reminder. <laughs> um, just a reminder, but the—you um, know—we were we were trained to to work and work and work. And I think the millennials and Gen Zs much to. Gen Xers and boomers, uh, uh, not thinking this, but I mean, what if they're right? What if, what if you ought to be going home? I mean, we, we, uh, you and I are from the generation where it was looked at unfavorably if a teacher took her book bag with her to car rider duty, but, um, cause that meant she's on the way out and <laughs> yes. she is done. But, but look, I mean, with, you don't have to stay in your room, and and you have other parts of your life. And like, I think that's the new new. And um, I would encourage all of us to. Um, I, I don't think it benefits us to wear people out, and I don't think for for our leaders who are listening to this, like, don't be mad at your your millennials for, but but like, pay attention to what they're telling you with their actions. And, and I hear people, you know, they're just very mad that like these people want to get paid for everything we ask them to do. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a capitalistic society. (laughs) And so it's kind of set up like that, but we have just, I mean, I think about how much time teachers donate. I think about what other profession has homework. I mean, hours, (laughs) um, I mean, this isn't even professional development and continuing uh, growth. This is like homework, like our profession famously has homework. And um, it's, uh, I think how people look at their jobs and their lives is gonna, is, is already in the process of changing. And I think we are, Um, if you continue to look at it in the old archetype, I think you do so at your own risk.
1: Love it. Thank you. Because it's it's such a huge part of understanding. You got to have some concept of it, even if it's just something as simple as, you know, one of the things I, I learned was I've got this part of me that's my family. And if I want to have that family, I need to, I better start scheduling time with them just as much as I got everything else on my, my calendar. And, uh, and that just helps you be able to deal with all kinds of other stuff that you do. As long as you're being able to still go coach soccer or, or go, you know, do the scouting stuff with your, um, with your kids or do, you know, whatever it is um, you know, it's go fishing and, and uh, go hiking and stuff like that. And uh, um, you're going to be doing it by yourself if you're not uh, careful there, but, you never put that That's part right there. Yeah, good stuff. I, I all right. So, you know, one of part seven of your book is called leading. So let's get into leading just a little bit. One of the things that uh, you hear a lot about as a as a principal or an aspiring principle or something like this is you you hear someone talking about the importance of vision. You talk you hear people talking about vision casting and uh, you know developing a vision. Could you share why understanding vision is important?
0: So the answer that anybody should get should give um, at an interview to be principal, you can't give because they won't hire you. But when they ask you, what will your vision be for the school? You're going to have to say some things because that's what they want you to say. But the right answer to that is, I don't know what the vision is now because a collective vision is what wins the day and I need to gather data. I need to talk to the people who work there. We need to consolidate our 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 thoughts and our experiences and our exposures into a common vision. Um so I've been doing a lot with vision lately and and I'll share because I'm happy to do so. But um but I've been asking people to bring in a photo that is a highlight of their previous school year all right and so it's the end of the year bring me a picture that represents and it doesn't have to represent everything but like something something of that year that this this photo tells what this year was about through your eyes and so you bring all those together and you look at them and and you reflect on on what that was and then the next part is the powerful part steve it's I ask people now find a picture that you would bring a year from now. And maybe you're going to have to tell this picture with words and maybe you can find something on the internet that represents it. Maybe you can draw something, but you just found a photo that was an actual photo from this past year. Now I want you to give this forecast, this vision cast of what this is. I think people get confused on mission and vision, but it is a picture. It's it's you close your eyes and this is what you see. And I think an easy way to do that is to look back at what you've seen. And this, is, this was good. Now I want to look a year ahead. This is it. Well, you do that with a group of people together, and now this is what we want this to look like and i'll tell you from personal um experience so i was when i first um, left the principal's office and went into full-time support of of leaders through coaching and consulting um, i flew all over the country it was fun because i like all of us in education i'd been in a school building my whole life and so now i was out i was going to the famous places uh most of them where you have lived roswell new mexico and nice. um in grand rapids michigan and I, re- I went to 44 states i went all over the country and um and i felt hollow um and it's not that that's not a good thing to do and i enjoyed it and the people are great everywhere but um for me it wasn't just about the kick off the game. I, I wanted to be around for the whole thing. And I, I have enjoyed de- helping people develop over weeks, months, years. And so I still am happy to give a keynote. I'm still happy to roll out and speak to lots and lots of people. Uh, I enjoy that, but I find greater purpose and meaning in working with a group of people. But here's how I got to that, Steve. I had to have a vision statement. And so I went and got away, and I'm like, all right, I'm not happy with the way things are now. So what will it look like when things are better? And my answer to that was I was seeing no matter where kids were all over the state of Georgia, they were finding opportunities through education. Like That is the picture I see. I see engineers coming from – Camilla, Georgia, and I see um, artists coming from um, Pembroke. I see every little nook and corner and cranny of Georgia like education's really a pathway for them to be successful. And so that's my vision still is. So once you got a vision of what it looks like, then you can build your mission and my mission is help school leaders lead schools. So that may sound like, well, that is an awful lot of, of thinking for something that's so simple. But, but the simplicity isn't it, it, it. It's a good thing because that's, I think, how a school's vision is is best. Is where it is simple. This is a picture of what we're doing. Our mission is clear. We don't laminate the vision and mission statements for goodness sakes, because you got to talk about them and let them live and 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 then the piece that really makes things work are you know what are the values that drive our day-to-day actions and that's those pieces can make nearly any organization successful in my opinion that's the secret sauce if there is such a thing and i find that often leaders are Trying to find the right answer. Like, what should we, what should we put for vision? Well, what did we put last time? No, 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 no. Blank sheets of paper, not even paper. Bring in a picture, draw a picture. And the more aggravating it is to get everybody to agree on it, that's good. That's what you want because you want people to invest in it so that they'll be able to follow it. So look, vision's the whole thing. I mean, you think about the, the John Kennedy vision of over this decade, we will send a man to the moon and bring him back. Like, all right, that's a clear picture. And I often find it through the tragedies that happened in the sixties. It's so poignant to me is that Richard Nixon, the person who hated John Kennedy the most and vice versa is the person who talked to him on the phone when they had gone to the moon which to me means everybody just needs to put your own stuff aside and focus on this vision that matters because that is it's a terrible thing of why that ended up that way. But it, to me, is one of the most miraculous and most poignant things is Kennedy set the vision and Nixon, his – dreaded rival was the one who was there to make sure that vision happened. See, that's the thing. And and that would, vision can unite people if we'll just, just for a minute, just, just park it all. And who doesn't want to have a vision of a better tomorrow through learning, through education? Um, It's simple, not easy.
1: Oh, I love that. That's powerful. Love Love that discussion! Oh my gosh, man, this is your book is full of all kinds of stuff like this, and you know, you, you just have uh, you know the different practical thoughts and guidance, and and you know, your uh, your you're supercharging ideas in our brains to to think about uh, um, you know these terms and these things that they've probably heard mentioned to them or run into and stuff like this and, and, uh, giving us ideas about how to, how to be better at uh, what it is that we want to do. And I, I it's such a powerful book that you've written, Mark. And I, you know, I'm one of the, in the last section of the book, I got to make sure that I bring this because one of the (laughs) cool things that, you know, um, our, our kids for the most part have guardians or parents and, uh, they have a role in our school and, uh, you know, we, we should uh, be thinking about that role. Um, in the last section you talk about partnering with parents, talk about what you think is important here. So our
0: relationship with parents needs to be more appropriate for what will help education. And, and here's what I mean by that is, um, So one of the things that I'm working with, with lots of schools is creating videos for their schools that they have internally that teachers can, can watch just short one to three minute videos that they can watch when they need to. But one of the video um, topics that we we do when we're doing that is how to have a conversation with a parent over the phone. And I'm not trying to be silly in any way, but like, a lot of our younger teachers they don't call anybody and um and a lot of our parents don't call anybody and so we're activating this piece that is necessary but i i i just think we've got to get so so deeper here's here's why um so richard rothstein um was an author of a number of books including what works in schools and he wrote all the way back in 2010 that you you can account for a student's performance with um, school, but it only accounts for about a third of of why that student performs the way they do, whether it's good or bad. But these other factors are away from school. And yeah, I mean, look, I'm all I'm a school guy. I love school. I love everything about school. But our students and how they perform, it, it can only be linked about 33% to what we do in school. Now, I know that there are people who, who are like, oh, no, don't make excuses. It's not excuses. It's math. It's real. And when we acknowledge that and then engage in a, in a meaningful way to activate it, then we're being smart. In my opinion, if funds and resources were available, we need very deep efforts to connect with parents. Here's something that you know that makes sense. So college football, Um, we're here in Georgia and college football is a serious proposition, 365 days a year. And not only do we follow college football, We follow college football recruiting because we're interested in who the next people will be. What if we address school like that? What if we looked at the kids who were going to come to our building were valued targets? Because if we did, and not just one or two of them, but all of them, what if we treated their parents the way that colleges treat the parents of, of recruits? Because they have huge staffs, Steve at each of these division one schools that work towards recruiting? What if what if our relationship with parents were more of 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 trying to trying to develop a partnership with them? Um what if instead of meet the teacher night, which if you have a great meet the teacher night, I'm happy for you and I'm glad that it goes well. But a lot of those are hard because I'll hear teachers at the end they'll go the ones that we wanted to come didn't come and well maybe because you put them in a put them in an environment that wasn't good for them like have you thought about having thank you parents night and have some cornhole games set up in the for or make a make a party out of it have food and but begin not just that but we need to bridge this because look, if we are going to provide what people need we have to look beyond the third that we're doing at school and i don't think that we can just lean i don't I don't think it's time to go to teachers and go now we want you to do another job we already know you have homework and we would like to give you an, an additional job i think school systems and i think the school <clears throat> the, the school enterprise at large would be so well served by dedicating resources to activate principals, uh, parents, rather. And there are so many different things that you can do. But right now, I think it's few and far between that people do more than just kind of parallel play with parents. I think that most places, and look, I'm not trying to throw a rock at us. Like, we got a lot we're already trying to do. I'm suggesting that we need we are we are squeezing so hard on the 33% that we have access to what if we put some effort in some other places and what if it really improves student achievement and you know what we got data that shows that it does because that is decades long data that says uh the, I mean go back to the Harvard family project that the mere instance of talking about school with ones children or guardian or our children, your guard. Um, that is, that increases student performance. And so um, there's a lot there. <clears throat> and like everything in the book, Steve, this is not meant, I mean, it's, it's 244 pages. It's not 2000 pages. And even if it were, you couldn't cover everything. This is, this is a book of practical pieces that there, there's this is kind of like a whole book full of appetizers that any one of these little small chapters could be a whole book in themselves. And, and I think the interesting thing is that is the experience of the school principal is you have that many things that you are working with that. What is the most important? I don't, I don't know. Um, I think it's situational. It's, I, it's a question I ask principals every year is, um, what is what is the biggest lift that's necessary at the school this year? And sometimes I'll ask it in the form of "What is the largest roadblock between you and success today?" And those questions are worth pondering for people.
1: Love it, awesome! All right, I got a, I got a question for you that I got to, I just got to ask this: If you had a chance to be the closing keynote of a conference for new principals? What would you want them to remember most from your talk as they left the conference and were headed back to their schools?
0: Well, I have had a chance to do that many times. And um, so one of the things that I believe is you've got a 72 hour rule that any conference you go to, you got 72 hours. And if you don't activate something from that conference, it's vapors, it's missed, it's gone. It's a, Happy memory, but it's not going to change things. I I would say this, um, not to be a contrarian about your question, but I've learned, I I try to get people to do something while they're there. Um, And I I offer this to everybody for this notion, like if you're having PD with your teachers, do something while you're there. Don't create another piece of, I hope this will happen when you're gone do it right then. And the right then that I try to do with leaders is get out your calendar and put something on the calendar because to do lists are a list of future regrets. Um, our calendar is really those are, that's what we do. And so I intentionally with the classes and, and even keynotes that I do, I'm, I'm going to ask people put something on your calendar right now, while you're here. And even if it's (laughs) revisit this. Um, But I I do offer that as an idea for your listeners as doing professional development. um, I feel like once they cross the threshold of the door, they've gone back into the world that I had just given them escape from. And so I'm best if I do something while I got them.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So cool. Good stuff. Um, uh, Mark, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and, or learn more, uh, where would you send them? So,
0: uh, one website does it all. It's principle dot matters.com. And there, um, we have lots of free resources, um, a whole, uh, we, we have articles that come out every week. We have podcasts that will be coming out each, uh, each week throughout the upcoming school year and they're all affiliated with the book. They're connected with the book. And so, uh, that's there. You also can purchase the book if you would like to do so. Um, and you can do that at the website. So principal dash matters.com. It's in the, it's in the podcast notes below. If you, if you don't have a chance to write it down right now.
1: That is awesome. And I will have that information in the show notes. So it'll be easy for them to find it, especially if they're listening to us on their phone or whatever, because they can just go right in there and click on that and go there. Um, Last question for you, Mark. Got to ask this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if you had a chance to say thank you?
0: Fortunately, I have had a chance to say thank you to coach Marion Waters. He was um, both, a coach and a teacher, and he ended up being principal. I so admired him because of his uh, steadfast, ethical um, approach to things. There was a student who had been involved in some not so great behaviors in in football, um, away from football. But it was his task to. Um, give the award for for this particular player. And he stood up, and while most of people were gushing over the people they were talking about, he stood up at the banquet and said, um, it is my responsibility to offer the blank award, and the person you have selected is blank. And everybody cheered and didn't pay attention, but I don't know what I was thinking, being like a 10th grader, like that just stuck with me. And I asked him the next day at school, like, what was that all about? And he said, um, sometimes you have to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise, but you don't have to, you you don't have to just cloak yourself all up in it. And, and he lived that all the time. He, um, I, I just learned so much, um, ethically from him. And I learned so much academically from, an, from another teacher at high school, Carl Beeson, who taught all of us and we went to Greer High School in that time, taught us how to write. And he had um, high standards. And I was greeted my senior year with the words, take out a sheet of paper and number one to 10. And um, again, because he was so Adamant about our performance. Um, honestly, like college and grad school was really easy for me. The next time uh, I, I didn't have anybody mark down a paper between Carl Beeson and my doctoral dissertation. <laughs> so those two teachers. That is huge awesome. Difference.
1: That is awesome. Thanks so much for sharing, Mark. I, you know, uh, this has been cool. I Thank you so much for sharing your book, What They Didn't Teach in Fancy Leadership School, A Guide for Successful School Leadership. What an awesome focus. What an awesome practical tool. Much needed information. And boy, do I wish I had had it when I first started being a principal because it would have been very helpful. Wishing you the best in all you do, Mark. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for what you do. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcast by educators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmuleto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.